Our text verse tonight is verse 8. Our topic tonight is the Saviorhood of Christ. Uh, just to be a, just a reminder, we are in the uh, study, our series on the Godhead. And if since we are speaking of the Godhead, why would we speak about Christ? He's part of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Again, which one is most God? They're co-equal, they coexist. Uh, hard to explain that, hard to understand, but it's the fact of the Bible. I forget who it was that said, we may not understand all of it, but we believe all of it. If God's Word says it, you know, that's, that's good enough for us. But anyway, we're talking about the Saviorhood of Christ. And to me, I, I thought about that. Whenever we think of a Savior, who do we think of? Jesus Christ, okay? So why in the world do we need a, a study on the Saviorhood of Christ? Well, I think you'll be uh, surprised in a way, but also I think it sets an alarm out uh, to our culture of how important it is and what it really means to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Isaiah 55, somebody read verse 8, please. Okay, thank you, Phyllis. And you'll notice the last three words, saith the Lord. God is speaking directly here. Isaiah is the uh, author of it, but God, it comes from God. And God says that his thoughts are not our thoughts, and our ways are not his ways. Now, most of us here tonight remember from studying previously in in the Scriptures, uh, we know that when God created Adam and Eve, uh, what was their position originally? What, what, what was wrong with them when God created them? Nothing. They were perfect, okay, in every way. And we also know it's evident from the first couple chapters, at least to get to chapter 3 of Genesis, there was some kind of fellowship that God would come down and, and walk with them in the cool of the day in the garden. But in chapter 3, something happened. Sin came in. And that, that particular time, once that happened, when they heard God in the garden, what did Adam and Eve do? They hit, yeah, they ran and they hid. Sadly, the sad thing is they had never done it before. And here we get to Isaiah, and God reminds us about something. One of the many bad results of the fall, and they're all bad, but I think one of the worst ones is From the time of the fall, humanity has been out of touch with God. Isn't that true? We can only imagine what it must have been like to commune with God like they did every day. And again, we don't know how long that lasted. We're not told. But we know there was a time when it ended. And God reminds us through the words here in Isaiah, what sin has produced in fallen mankind. And mankind is certainly out of touch with God. And I think we all agree, his thoughts and his ways, if you compare them to ours, which is greater? His is far superior. In fact, 
mankind's ways were evil. Now, the fact of the matter is this. For those who are living with the ungenerated mind, their mind is filled with darkness. And they spend their time wandering away from the life that God desired for them. And that's true because, according to the Word of God, they have closed their minds to God and they have hardened their hearts. Now remember, Adam and Eve, and so as you mentioned a moment ago, the first thing they did once they sinned, when they heard God, they ran. And they hid. And mankind has been wandering and running from God since that day. Ephesians 4.18. Somebody read that, please. Yes. Now, don't miss what the Bible says here. People miss the life that God desires for them. Now, let me ask you, now, this is sort of a rhetorical question. Did God want Adam and Eve to sin? No. Did he make them sin? No. He gave them a free will, gave them a choice, but he didn't make it. And God wanted, wanted them to have that special relationship. And folks, God still desires that for humanity. He still wants that fellowship with humanity. But the problem is, we run from God, and Paul reminds us our understanding is darkened. We have been separated from the life of God because of ignorance. And the bottom line is because of the blindness of our hearts. And we were all in that position at one time or another. And we'll be preaching a bit more about that Sunday morning, about our our condition. But here's the thing. Because of the blindness of their hearts, uh, because they are separated from the life that God wants, the bottom line is the soul has lost its anchorage. There's no place to mourn. Nothing solid anymore. Everything has been thrown out of sync. Everything. And human depravity has turned everything up. Side down. Remember what God said. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And our ways are not his ways. And we didn't read the next verse, but he says his ways are higher than the heavens. His thoughts are higher than the heavens. Certainly ours are not. So because our hearts are hardened, because of depravity, rather than you know being a submission uh, to submitting our life now, uh, to be concerned with the life to come, we get caught up, mankind gets caught up, primarily in the present life. Now, make no mistake, we have to live here. But the sad thing is, they get so caught up in the present life, they take no thought for the eternal life. And by the way, how long was eternal life? A long time. But how long is eternal separation? A long time as well. They're both forever. And so because of the depraved mind, because of their privacy, because of the blindness of their hearts, they're not seeking God. They're focused only on this life, and they're not concerned about the life 
come. And so instead of putting the good of their souls, well, their soul has been eternity, instead of putting that before the needs of the body, all man is concerned about is what satisfies them when? Now. Food, clothing, all that stuff. Now, it doesn't mean we don't need that. Sure we do. But mankind has become so consumed about that, they forgot to care and worry about what's going to happen to their soul in eternity. We've got it upside down. First Peter, chapter 3, look at verse 4. Uh, thank you, Phyllis. Now, just a little bit of a background. We just drew a verse out of there. And uh, I you know, know what's going on here. Peter is speaking to uh, women in the church whose husbands are unsaved. And the concern, how do you win them to Christ? And, uh, you know, Peter says, rather than always being concerned about adorning the outside, uh, adorn the inside. And, uh, you know, have a... Uh, a meek and quiet spirit. But the last part of that verse, Phyllis, you just read it. God says, it's, it's, it, Peter said, which is in the sight of God of great price. It is valuable to God. Now, I realize, now, by the way, a lot of people have taken that verse out of context. Uh, for years, my grandmother would not wear makeup. Uh, you know, uh, you've seen that group before. But that's not what Peter's saying. He is saying, make sure you're taking care of the inside. Uh, now, by the way, and I realize in the context of this, Peter is speaking uh, to women whose wives, who, whose husbands are unsaved. I should, I was going to say spouses, but I meant their man husband, okay? Today's spouse could be anybody, but not biblically. But nonetheless, uh, their husbands are unsaved. And, and Peter said, don't try to win them by the outside adorning. Now, again, don't neglect that, certainly. That's not what he's saying. But make sure the inner qualities are there. And so I know he's talking about women here, but wouldn't that apply to women, to men as well? Make sure the inner quality is right. Because that is what God says is of great price. So it's how we adorn the soul. That is what great price is to God. Luke uh, 16, look at verse 15. Thank you. Now, I want you to notice particularly the last part of Luke 16, 15. Uh, and, of course, Christ is speaking here, and uh, we're speaking to the Pharisees and how they are justifying themselves in front of men. Uh, but Jesus, make sure you understand God knows your heart. But here's the key here. The things that men elevate, Peter, I'm sorry, Jesus said, those things are an abomination in the sight of God. So, again, we read Peter a moment ago, and he says, look, develop inner beauty rather than just being concerned about the outward appearance, the outside. And so our our thoughts have got to be governed by God's Word, and our our ways have got to be uh, regulated by God's revealed will. And that's true for all of our lives. But also understand, (laughs) the things, you know, in, in our world, it's the opposite people are focused on. 
They're focused on the wrong things. So the things which are considered a great price in the eyes of God, now think about this, are despised by the fallen creature. And those things that the ungenerated man, the one who's not born again, in other words, those things that they elevate, Jesus says, those things are an abomination in the sight of God. Now remember, because of the fall, man has turned things upside down. We've got it backwards. And that needs to change in our life. And so when we think about that fact, the fact that man has indeed turned things upside down, without a doubt, it is really evident when the unsaved try to handle divine matters. Now think about that. Say it again. No way, they can't. But sometimes they're, they're quick to give you advice, right? <laughs> First Thessalonians, look at chapter 5, verse 23. Now again, we're looking at how, for the most part, the unsaved get it backwards. And Paul is talking about the God who sanctifies us. But notice what he says here. He's praying that God, and he involves our whole spirit, soul, and body. He's praying that that will be preserved unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, all three have importance. But which one does God put first? Our spirit and our soul. So the Bible speaks of man's spirit and soul and body. But often in our world today, when man speaks about it, it's backwards. It's body, soul, and spirit. Now, by the way, they're all important. But we better consider where we're going to spend eternity. In fact, Jesus said, what would you profit if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? What's the answer? Nothing. You lose everything. But he also said, don't be afraid of man. And I'm paraphrasing because the, the worst thing they can do is kill the body. What can God do? He can destroy the soul. And man has got priorities backwards, upside down. And inside out, <laughs> wrong side out, you have you want to put it, that's exactly how man's done that. 
and all because of the fall. And that's why God said to Isaiah that his thoughts and his ways are not our thoughts and not our ways. Also understand, to get these things mixed up, backwards, inside out, back, whatever, reverse, it's all a part of mankind's fallen nature. Now think about that. And unless a person allows the Spirit of God to interpose and work a miracle of grace in their lives, folks, do you understand the effects of our nature to the soul is damning. There has to be a change. And yet today, and by the way, I'm studying out of A.W. Pink's book on the Godhead. And he wrote this book, he wrote, he wrote this book in the 18, in the middle 1800s, maybe late 1800s. And even then it was a problem. And I thought the other day as I was studying, you know what, it's not gotten any better. Because I think one of the dangers we're seeing today when we see how God, how man has reversed what God wants. It's very clear in the message that many are preaching today about being born again. It's been a lot of years now. I haven't been saved very long. Brother Charlie, you probably remember this. We're going back that far. We were first coming to church here, first got saved. Charlie Glover, Ed and Pam and I were coming here, a few others. And uh, there was a fellow up in Columbus was a post was a postman. He walked his route, you know, in in town. And again, he was he, he was a child of God, no doubt about that. And uh, in fact, as he 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 retired from the post office, but uh, every few years, once he felt like he had exhausted the opportunity to share the gospel with each one of his customers, whatever you want to say, he wanted a new route. That way, he had a chance. To share the gospel. And again, he was um, sincere about that. He was concerned for lost souls. And one week our pastor had him come down. And uh, I know I went with him. Uh, I don't know, Brother Troy, if you were able to go or not. You might have been working. I was working on second shift. So I was able to go during the daytime. And uh, But I, I remember now looking back on that. Uh, a lot of that was asking some simple questions that almost all would demand a yes answer. Do you want to go to heaven? Now, today it might be different, but in the late 70s, most people say, I'd like to, or yes. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? A lot of people say yes. Do you believe that God has raised him from the dead? We say yes. And then he would say, if you say that prayer, you'll be born again. Now, something wrong with that. Because that is simply mimicking words. And we cannot forget that salvation is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of the heart. But also understand, our world's in bad shape. But what breaks my heart today, 
I want to tell you the church is in bad shape. The things that we've allowed to come in, that we tolerate. I mean, there's error on every side, but don't say anything about it because we want to be user-friendly. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And the sad thing is, we're living in a time, and, and don't misunderstand, there are exceptions, and I think most of us here today make those exceptions, thank God for that. But I want to tell you, for the most part, practical godliness is gone. It's gone. I mean, you go out and you can't tell the difference between a, a Christian or the unsaved. I mean, the, the, the church is beginning to act so much like the world. You can't tell the difference. And, and for some, the true way of salvation is not being preached. It's, it's not being, it's not known today for the most part. Because even sometimes, many times, when the gospel is preached, the order has been reversed. And for years, it was true when A.W. Pink wrote his book in the 1800s. It's true today. It's what a lot of theologians call cheap, easy believism. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that's all you need to do. One time, when I worked at General Motors, the group of fellows had gotten together and they were talking about being saved. And one fellow said, that's easy. You just call your preacher. He says some words to you, you repeat them, and you're saved. Now, make no mistake about it. There's something to be said about that. But how many know anybody can say words? It has to be a matter of... Of the hearts. And so many people believe, well, and you'd be surprised. Well, I said, they call it the sinner's prayer. You've heard it before. I prayed the sinner's prayer 30 years ago. I was baptized. Haven't been to church in 25 years. I live like the devil. You can't tell the difference. But because I said that, them words and got baptized, I'm okay. And there are some that teach, they're okay. Now they're gonna, you know, they get to go to the park, but they can't ride the merry-go-round. And they can't ride the, you know, they can't ride the Ferris wheel or the roller coaster, but they can at least get to the park. That's a lie from the devil. That's a lie from the devil. And, and maybe you repeat that word, and maybe, maybe, just maybe later on, there'll come a time in your life where you'll finally consecrate yourself to God, and you'll serve Him fully. But if it doesn't happen, don't worry. You said those words. You were baptized. You repeated the sinner's prayer. 
So heaven will be sure for you. You're going to miss out on some crowns or some rewards. But you'll make it in. See, the problem is, even that reverses the order of God. Say it again. No. Because until he's Lord of your life, he can't be your Savior. He has to be Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. Many, 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 many years ago, boy, don't you? You know when you talk like that, you're at the latter part of your life. You know that, don't you? Many years ago. So, Brother Paul, I'm not that young man anymore, okay? I realize that. We went to see a preacher, a well-known preacher. It was packed out. Probably a thousand people in this church that night. And uh, he memorized his text. And he was a, a rather gifted artist, at least I thought he was. And it, before you had PowerPoints, they had... Uh, that stand with the paper pages on it, you know, folded back. And I'll never forget he had four points to his message. Great message. And there, Psalm 2. And he talked about the day when God will laugh them into derision. And I don't remember the exact four points, but each point he had a picture he drew of it. Great message. But then at the end of the sermon, he said, well... He was testing. He was saved at a certain age in life. A friend of his was saved as well, and uh, they both, I think, joined the navy shortly afterwards. And his friend never followed through with anything. Never went to church. Lived like the world. And by now, the priest, the priest, at least, was in his forties or fifties. And he said, but I know because he repeated those words that many years ago, he'll make it to heaven. He'll lose some rewards, but he'll make it. My friend, there's something wrong with that teaching. Now make a mistake about it. We want people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But my friend, they need to make their calling and election sure. It's not time to play games. It's not time to be wishy-washy and what it means to be born again. And again, we've, we reverse that order. And I don't know how to explain this because I think it happens simultaneously because you'll never be, have him as your savior unless he's your Lord. He has to be your Lord, number one, before he can be your Savior. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, this is called the Magnificat. It's Mary's song, praise to God. But let's just read two verses, 46 and 47. Thank you, Alan. Now, um, 
As I begin this, I can see when somebody says, well, you're just being a little too technical here. But notice what she says. My soul magnifies who? The Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, I know that they can be interchangeable. I understand that. But what was the first thing Mary recognized about God? He's her Lord. And my friend, he can never be your Savior unless you first call him Lord. Remember Thomas? Anybody remember him in the Bible? Poor guy. He's known as who? Doubting Thomas. Now, the Bible is a little more fair with him. They call him Didymus, which means twin. So he had a twin brother. But you know the story. But when Jesus came the second time, he said, Thomas, Scar, reach your hand in. Touch. And Thomas didn't. He just simply said, my Lord and my God. He has to be Lord of our lives. And by the way, every verse in the New Testament, when you see the words Lord and Savior in the verse, Lord always, and I rarely say always, but always comes first. Lord and Savior. So until Jehovah God became Mary's Lord, he could not have been her Savior. In fact, if we consider what the Bible says, this has to be true because how in the world could any of us be received by a God who is holy, 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 unless we first submit ourselves to his authority. We have to do that. Anyone who scorns his authority, despises God's honor, ignores his revealed will, God cannot be their Savior. Now, by the way, our opening verse tonight in Isaiah 55, when God said, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, in the first seven verses, God was laying out a plan to bring forgiveness. And God knows man's heart. He knows we're very, say it again, fickle. That's a good word. And reluctant to give forgiveness. But God said, remember, my ways are not your ways. I don't act like you do. I'm glad he doesn't. And so understand what's going on here. And so it's interesting. It's only because of God's infinite grace. That he is ready to be reconciled to us whenever we are willing 
to lay down our weapons of rebellion and say, Lord, it's me. Here I am. And that's when pardon comes. The moment we recognize him as Lord of our life. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10 Thank you, Phyllis. If you were here Sunday morning, Alan wasn't here. Dan wasn't here. Had nobody to read. I warned Alan tonight. It happened, happened one more time. It's a wet noodle. But here's the thing, folks. Was Peter serious? Was he serious when he said we need to make our calling and election sure? What's that mean? Yeah, You better make sure you're saved. Don't dilly-dally. Don't play games. Make it sure. Nail it down. Yeah. And if you do these things, Peter says, you will never fall. Now, we didn't cover it tonight, but we did in Sunday school, in the previous verses, verses 5 through 7. Peter says, we make our calling and election sure by adding to our faith. And there are seven characteristics we're to add. Virtue, knowledge, love, brother love, all those things. We're to add them to our faith. And if we do that, we'll never fall. And then verse 11, 2 Peter 1, verse 11. Somebody read that. Thank you. What's our hope to be? In heaven, right? And Peter says, if you make your calling and election sure by adding these characteristics to your faith, you will never fall. Now remember, faith is a foundation. But we've got to build on that faith. And those who are truly born again will build on that faith. Now I, I confess, not everybody does it at the same pace, but they build. They want to make their calling an election sure. By the way, guess what the devil wants to do for you? Get you to doubt, destroy your walk with God. Folks, make your calling and election sure. And Peter says, if we do that, we'll never fall. And God is going to one day grant us a wonderful grand entrance into his eternal kingdom. But notice what it says. The kingdom of our number one, Lord. And number two, our Savior, our Lord and Savior. Not our Savior and Lord, Lord and Savior. And my friend, I don't care who you are or who you talk about Christ until he is Lord of the lives, he cannot be 
their Savior. Second Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 20. Now, if you've been saved any length of time, you know there's a big debate about this verse. Uh, our eternal security brother would say that that's a hypothetical situation, blah, 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 blah. But if you're honest, if you're true to the word, uh, there's no doubt if you escape uh, the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, that's, that's, that's salvation. But that's not our point here tonight. Which, what I want you to realize, and again, Peter is certainly addressing the danger of the awful and the awful result of apostasy. Uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 6 says, if you commit apostasy, you cannot come back. So it's, it's very, very, very serious. So Peter's addressing that. But our point tonight, in, in light of what our study is about getting things in the right order, uh, evidently, uh, what the Holy Spirit says about these who have committed apostasy, uh, the Holy Spirit says they were favored with the knowledge of who? Number one, the Lord and Savior. That's the right order. Jesus Christ. Second Peter 3.18. Amen. Again, the order of the Lord and Savior. Now, again, I understand they're interchangeably. We know that. But he has to be Lord if he's going to be our Savior. And again, that's what we call cheap, easy believism. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't have to change your life. You don't need to surrender. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what the Bible says. Again, the opposite of what man puts in order there. And not just a technical thing, but a very basic, fundamental truth in the Word of God. Also notice in Matthew chapter 1, there's another uh, sort of an illustration here of taking things in their correct order. Matthew 1, verse 1. Amen. Now, how many believe the Word of God is inspired? How many just can't wait to read the genealogies in the Bible? <laughs> I, I remember some years ago when I first started reading the Bible through every year, I figured who I listened to on the radio, and he said, if you can get through uh, the Chronicles, you'll make it, you know? Uh, I mean, all those words you can't pronounce, you don't remember half of them, but they are kind of interesting. What I finally learned is the reason God names it by name, God's concerned about people. Amen? But anyway, here in Matthew 1, we have the genealogy of Christ. And notice the order. He's the son of David, number one. And then he's the son of Abraham. Wait a minute. Who came first, Abraham or David? Abraham came first. But the order is here for a reason. Son of David brings his throne, his lordship. His authority in view. Don't miss that. It emphasizes his authority 
and it demands allegiance to a scepter. Yeah. The son of David. Before the son of Abraham. So let's talk a little bit about the lordship of Christ. And by the way, uh, I love the book of Acts. I hope you do as well. But remember, uh, the book of Acts is a historical book, primarily. doesn't mean it's not the word of God. It is. It's inspired. It's God-breathed. And it's there because God wants us there. But we see some great preaching in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Okay, now they're preaching here, and we're told that God has exalted Jesus Christ to be, first of all, a prince. You see that order? And what comes second? A savior. Now don't miss that. And again, when you think of prince, it's somebody of supreme dominion and authority. He's Lord, he's prince first. If not your Lord, he will not and cannot be your Savior. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 5. He's Prince of who? The King. What's that mean? He's the king of kings. He has supreme authority. So as we read through the book of Acts, without a doubt, the message the apostles were preaching was a lot different today than being preached in a lot of churches. Not only in its emphasis, but also in its substance. Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Acts 2.21. Okay, you got to call on who? The name of the Lord. Put yourself under his authority. Do you remember the centurion who had a, a servant who was sick? And he sent, uh, talked to Jesus about it. And he, he met and said, you don't need to come to my house. I'm a man of authority. I know you're a man of authority. All you have to do is what? Say the word. Say the word. And here we have a centurion putting himself where? Under the authority of Christ. And folks, you cannot be saved until we see him as our Lord. And that's why you have to call upon the name of the Lord. And to call upon the name of the Lord is certainly calling on his name, but it's putting ourselves under the authority of that name. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. Acts 2.36. What came first? Lord. Now the word, the Greek word for Christ is Christos, the Messiah. The Lord and Christos. 
So there on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <laughs> and it reminds us and them that at that day, God had taken Jesus Christ and made him both Lord and Christ. Acts 10.36 He is what? Lord of all. Now, I don't remember one of my pastors years ago used to say often, and he probably got it from somebody else. That's all right. If Jesus is not Lord at all, of all, he's not Lord at all. He has to be our Lord of all. So Peter goes, he preaches Jesus Christ to Cornelius' household, and Peter said he is Christ, the Lord of of all. Acts 11, verse 23. Again, draw near to the Lord. Submit to Him. Acts 14, 23. Commended them to the Lord. So in, in, in uh, Acts eleven twenty three, Barnabas comes to Antioch. He exhorts them. Uh, he gives them purpose of heart. And he says, look, you've got to stick to the Lord. Let him be the authority in your life. In Acts 14, verse 23, uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, preaching, if you will, he commends them to the Lord because he, they realize only the authority of God could keep them. Acts 15, verse 17. What happened in Acts 15? Anybody remember? It's why we worship like we do today. It's why we don't keep the law. It's why we don't meet on Saturday. Okay? Acts 15, verse 17. And what Peter is saying, look, fellas, the whole idea here is that people would not just see Jesus Savior, he is, but they had to see him as Lord of their life. Seek him as Lord. Acts 16, verse 32. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. You know the story, Peter and Silas are in jail. It's midnight. They're getting ready to sing the third verse of He Set Me Free. Probably not, okay. <laughs> but what happened? God set him free. Philippian jailer getting ready to take his life because he knew Roman law. These guys escaped. They're going to kill me anyway. And Peter said, don't do that. We're all here. This guy was so amazed. So amazed. And he realized something different about these men. And he cried out almost with a deep from the inside, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall 
be saved. But notice what they did. They took the Philippine jailer and went home with him. And what did they do? They emphasized and they preached the word of the Lord to those who were in his house. What a God! Acts 5, verse 14. Now again, I know we're talking about salvation here as well. But please understand, you're added because you came as Lord of your life. That's how you're saved. Acts 9.35. Again, turning to the Lord. And by the way, that word turning is mean repenting. You're changing directions. It's not just repeating words. And it has to be Lord to be your Savior. Acts 9, 42. And it was known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. They made Christ the Lord of their life. And he became their Savior. Acts eleven twenty four. Unto the Lord. Acts 13, look at verse 12. Is the Lord important? You better believe it. It's His Word, it's His teaching. And until He's Lord of our lives, He cannot be our Savior. Acts 18, verse 8. Wow, what came first? Believe in the Lord first. Then he were baptized. I think we get the point, okay? It's important to have him as Lord of our lives if he's going to be Savior of our lives. Now, by the way, that happens simultaneously. The moment you make him Lord, he becomes your Savior. I have no doubt about that. But too many want all the goodies and haven't made Jesus the Lord of their life. Oh, my goodness gracious. Hmm. Let me introduce it and we will pick it up next week. The problem in churches today. Very few people have the right concept of what a scriptural or biblical saving conversion is. I remember many, many years ago, and if you're like me, most of you, when you were first saved, you memorized the Romans Road. I had it down. I could say it forward, backwards, sideways. And there was a time I could stand on my head. I could probably say it then. And I remember one night sharing with my brother-in-law. 
and they lived 300 some miles away. We were there to visit. He worked third shift. He had left to come back to see me. And I knew then God was dealing with his heart because he didn't like me that good and I didn't like him that good. Doesn't mean we were mad. We just didn't see each other. We didn't, we didn't know each other. But I had a chance to witness a little bit before we left and he come back. And boy, I, I, I gave him the Romans road. I said it twice. And I thought, well, don't let me say it again. It's not working. The problem was, you know what I thought it was? A formula. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't mean a Roman, there's nothing wrong with the verses. But what I forgot is this. It's a matter of the heart. And the problem was, what I failed to see, even though I recognized it had to be God dealing with him or he wouldn't have come back to talk with me about his soul. So why did I try to do it myself and not say, Lord, here he is. Send the hound of heaven. Yeah, I thought, and only God can bring the increase. And by the way, I quit repeating the Romans road, and I began to talk about how Jesus died for our sins. How God loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place. And as long as I live, I'll never forget, I watched my brother-in-law sit across the table, and he literally began to shake. Not because of what I said, because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Folks, it is the power of God under salvation. It really, really is. So, Lord, no, it won't be next week because if the weather's fine, they'll be doing the uh, work in the, the parking lot next week. But when we meet again for Bible study, we're going to pick up this thought of what is true biblical conversion. Okay? We're going to deal with that. Okay, let's stop there for tonight. And uh, let's take some prayer requests. Uh, we certainly want to continue to pray uh, for all those on our prayer list. Uh, pray that God's will uh, will be accomplished in their life. And, and by the way, um, I have no doubt that God's will is going to be accomplished. Our prayer should be that we will be satisfied with the will of God. Uh, whatever God chooses in our lives. We'll pray uh, for those situations. Um, let's see. I did... Uh, I've been texting Dan Hendershot off and on the last few days. And the last uh, day I texted him was Sunday. Of course, you know how he sent me a picture. He's there in a lawn chair behind a big lake enjoying some lemonade. How mean is that? So I said, are you meandering back to Ohio? He said, not yet. Should be home on Thursday. So anyway, pray for their safe travel. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure praying that uh, Dan and his daughter... We're able to spend some quality time together. I know that Dan was looking forward to that trip. Uh, a lot of kids are being out of school tomorrow will be the last day, some on Friday. Uh, let's pray for those that are transitioning into... Oh, my goodness. She has a kidney infection on top of everything else. We're talking about Barbara Harshberger. Continue to pray for her. Uh, pray that God would touch her. Uh, somebody else. Who am I missing here? Somebody had your hand up. Oh, Bill?
We need, we need to pray for churches, folks, okay? Uh, and to be honest with the Southern Baptist Convention is coming apart. They are losing churches by, by the scores. Um, now, let me put a plug in for Free Will Baptists. Uh, most of you remember Brother Greg Gerber, Sister Paris Gerber. And uh, Greg had graduated from Bob George University. And I asked him one time, I said, Greg, I said, you could choose any church you want to go to. He's, he's very well educated in the Bible. And uh, I said, but you've chosen a free will Baptist. Why is that? And he said, well, to be truthful with you, I've studied a lot of denominations, and the free will Baptists are one of the few who have not changed their standards through the years. Now, by the way, I still believe in the Word of God. I still believe in biblical principles. And I believe it needs to be taught, and we need to stand upon it. I don't care what the society may say, because you know what man's got it? They got it backwards, upside down. Yeah, and, and, and again, please listen very carefully. Vernon McGee's in heaven now, been here for many years. You'd love to hear him teach. And I'm not sure what denominator he was originally part of, but I would listen to him one day, and somebody, they would write in and ask questions. And said, Brother McGee, why did you leave? And I, I don't remember the denomination. You know what the answer was? He said, I didn't leave them. They left me. No kidding. Oh, you guess okay. <laughs> Maybe he was Southern Baptist. No, I don't think he was Southern Baptist or Methodist either one, okay? But I'm not sure. It, it could have been. But the truth of the matter is, folks, we've got to stay true to God's Word, Okay. We've got to do that. Somebody up before we pray. Yes, Linda. Hmm. Oh, let's pray for that. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I have a cousin who uh, has had heart problems for quite a few years. And he's, I forget exactly what his age. He's several years younger than I am. Uh, but he had a heart attack about a week ago, and since that time he's had at least a couple of strokes and uh, another heart attack. And I don't know how severe it is that he's in Missouri uh, Baptist Hospital. He's at Baptist Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. So pray for him, uh, but pray most of all for his soul. I, I don't know, the, you know, what he believes. Uh, I know his, our grandmother, you know, was a very devout Christian, and I think he may think he's okay, but his lifestyle doesn't show it. Uh, so let's pray for his name is Mark. Uh, Mark Weinhofer. I think he's German or what, huh? But pray for him and pray that God would speak to his heart. Anybody else before we pray? Let's pray for our churches a little, okay? Uh, by the way, we were here, we were here last night uh, for the Court of Honor, also for AHG. And it's really kind of a yearly graduating ceremony. Uh, they get their awards. They move up to the next stage. And I was really overwhelmed. Number one, I'd sure love to see our church have that many people on Sunday mornings, okay? Uh, that's my prayer. Uh, you come in last night, couldn't hardly find a parking place. I'd love to have that problem. So let's pray for that. But I couldn't help but think, uh, and I, I'm thankful for our children. Uh, uh, about five, six years ago, Jason had a vision. And, uh, of course, he got a boy. That's one, one of the reasons I brought it up. And he wanted something different than Boy Scouts because the Boy Scouts have gone off the deep end as well. Girl Scouts have too. Uh, so he began looking at the trail life. Started with three kids, his, his son and two of Jesse's. And now there's over 50-some boys attending here on Tuesday night. Now, again, uh, almost every one of those are Christian families. They go to church somewhere. But I'm, I'm giving God praise. At least 
we're, we've got a vehicle to help young men and in the age do the same uh, to promote godly living in the lives of these young men and women. <clears throat> and then, <clears throat> excuse me, Trisha and, and, and Jesse appreciate them as well because uh, they have been working with Awana and now it's focused, kind of the same, a different style, if you will, a little bit, but wanting to reach out to these young, young children. Thank God for people who love. And folks, let's always be a church who has a heart for the lost. Let's stand together, okay? Let's pray. Our Father, we're so grateful tonight to serve a risen Savior. And Father, what a, what a privilege, what a joy to know, to know, to know that we have been born again and you are our Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, for all of those on our prayer list. I pray for the healing touch according to your will. I pray for those who are discouraged, Lord, and that you would encourage their hearts. Lord, wrap your arms around them and draw them near to your heart. I pray for those that are sick tonight and going through procedures and different things in their life. May your will be done. I pray for our church, Lord. I pray, Lord, you'll give us a vision. Lord, that we'll be a light to this community. And God, remind ourselves that we are responsible to tell others about Jesus Christ. We love you tonight, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed. God bless each one of you.